Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where this week we'll be looking ahead to some of the twists and turns you can expect from markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means asking how Philip Hammond can meet Theresa May's pledge to ease austerity and boost infrastructure spending all at the same time. The Bank of England's widely expected interest rate cut that didn't materialise. And finally, it's the elephant in the room, or rather in this case the studio, Brexit. I'm joined by Patrick Hosking, financial editor and columnist of The Times, Catherine Griffiths, our banking editor, and Anne Ashworth, the money and property editor of The Times. Welcome to you all. Thanks for coming in. Before we discuss the bank's decision to hold rates, for now at least, I wanted to play a clip from Theresa May's first speech as Prime Minister to you. This is the one she made in Downing Street, in which she made some pretty strong commitments. You have a job, but you don't always have job security. You have your own home, but you worry about paying the mortgage. You can just about manage, but you worry about the cost of living and getting your kids into a good school. If you're one of those families, if you're just managing, I want to address you directly. I know you're working around the clock. I know you're doing your best, and I know that sometimes life can be a struggle. The government I lead will be driven not by the interests of the privileged few, but by yours. We will do everything we can to give you more control over your lives. Well, that's the new Prime Minister. Patrick Hosking, fine words, clearly, but surely the conduit to deliver these improvements to our daily lives will have to come through business and the wider economy. How do you think that's going to be done? Well, as you, as you say, it's, it's always the economy, isn't it? Whether whether uh, it's money to to pay more welfare or, uh, or or increased wages for 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 ordinary workers, it's the economy that's uh, go, that we, we're going to have to rely on to uh, to see uh, the new prime minister's uh, desires come true. What I think is most interesting is one of the things that George Osborne failed to make clear is how many people he took out of tax by raising the thresholds, how many people were or should have been better off. And I wonder what steps now Hammond is going to take, given that he's abandoned austerity, apparently, to help the lower paid. I mean, it's a very interesting whole new policy um, conjecture as to what happens next for that group that Mrs May has pledged to do better for. Surely there's, there's, a, there's a problem here because they've argued one of the, the highlights that uh, David Cameron uh, made was that 
he introduced the living wage, the national wage, and now businesses are saying we're going to have to lay off people. We've been hearing big FTSE 100 companies saying, particularly in the retail sector, they're going to have to adjust people's contracts. And clearly the implication is if they don't like it, then they leave. So, Patrick, can I ask you, is this doable, in fact, given the circumstances we've got now? They're not going to scrap the wage, are they? But it's got to be paid for somehow. Well, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. Um, business is in a, a big funk at the moment. They don't want, as you say, they don't want to hire. They don't want to invest. Consumers are starting to get to get worried. I mean, who's going to buy a big ticket item at the moment? Kitchens or or big holidays? They'll they'll opt for something smaller treats. The business business leaders are telling are telling me. So it's uh, it's very difficult. Uh, but on, on the question of, I, mean, I think there are some tailwinds as well as these huge headwinds. There's the uh, the fall in the pound, which will certainly help. Uh, exporters there's the incredibly low level of guilt yields which means the government can borrow at uh, a cost unknown for centuries well unknown forever i think uh, you can borrow the government can borrow 10-year money for 0.78 percent at the moment and i think a big part of it is getting the banks to lend isn't it and obviously we've already seen the bank of england relax this counter-cyclical buffer which essentially means a sort of 150 billion pounds worth of lending could go into the economy but there are two sides to it, of course. The banks have got to feel comfortable enough to lend and to release that capital. And then, of course, they've got to get businesses and households to borrow. Um, and I think on the one hand, you've got our new Prime Minister making it clear that she she wants to trend a different, a slightly different course from, from her Conservative colleagues in terms of being perhaps less sort of big big bank, big finance friendly. I think that Theresa May, for example, is not a fan of quantitative easing because essentially it benefits the rich. But on the other hand, you know, you've had Philip Hammond going this week to the... To, he did this before he became officially became Chancellor. He went to the British Bankers Association soiree, at, you know, the heart of Westminster the other night and sort of making nice to the banks. So they've got uh, they've got a tricky situation, but it does feel to me, I don't know if, if everyone else would agree, that they've got a lot of leeway this summer. There's a lot of goodwill behind the new government. So this is a time for them to capitalise on, on that and really, at a clip, do a few things. So it's very interesting to see all this against the background of the decision not to raise, not to cut interest rates this week. I was, We were all just trying to think around why that was. And there were some people saying they don't want household indebtedness to grow anymore. But also for the numbers of people of whom the base rate is totally irrelevant. For people in the London and the South East, people with very big mortgages, record low interest rates have been a huge boon. But for millions of others, they don't borrow at anything like those costs. They borrow at what we would call usurious rates of sometimes 200, 300%, and they don't have any savings. And yet there's also another group who've just seen the returns on their savings on which they rely diminishing. About five years ago, you could earn in excess of 3% on an ISA. Now it's just over 1%. So I just wonder whether we're going to see a whole reformulation of policy to make the what the Bank of England MPC does more relevant to the wider economy. How do you do that, though, if you are independent without changing the remit of the bank? It's independent after all, so it can't be dictated to by government, can it? Well, I don't know. I'd be very interested to hear what uh, my yeah, colleagues Patrick, think on this. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the inflation target is set by, uh, set by 
tre- the Treasury, so you could change the rules and say, well, we're no longer going for a 2% target or, or whatever. But I think the issue is, is not to stop the Bank of England doing what it's currently doing, although I've, I've grave doubts that uh, they can go much further on monetary policy. I think we need a complete uh, reset, a rethink about uh, economic policy across the, across the piece, not just monetary policy, but financial policy and particularly fiscal policy. I think that's one reason perhaps why, the, why Threadneedle Street paused uh, this week on not, uh, not cutting rates, was to, was to give Downing Street and particularly Philip Hammond a chance to sort of lay out a bit more of, of his thinking of where he's going on fiscal policy because, uh, you know, the Bank of England's been doing the heavy lifting for the past eight years and, frankly, it doesn't work anymore. We've seen that in Japan. We've se- we're seeing that in the Eurozone. After, a, as, as Anne was saying, after a point, ultra-low monetary policy doesn't work anymore. And, sorry, the other point was, of course, was, was that Theresa May specifically said it wasn't helping the people she wants to help. So we could see more of a brave new world than we imagined under the regime of Theresa May, that we rethink the whole way that the bank works, the whole way that the Treasury works, rethink um, benefits. I mean, is this going to be... Are we entering a period of revolution, do we think? We've got a massive amount of debt. And, Patrick, we've talked about this before. People are very, very heavily borrowed. We're just encouraging them to borrow more. I mean, this is a fool's paradise, surely. Well, there is one, one, one sector of the economy that's not borrowed at all. Of course, that's the corporate sector. They've got lashings of cash. They don't really know what to do with it. A lot of them are just uh, using them for buybacks or special dividends or giving it back to shareholders. So if you, I think one of the key uh, areas of, uh, of tax policy and public policy is to somehow try and encourage companies to start spending a bit. Well, that works out quite well, doesn't it? Because Theresa May has, you know, sort of dissed George Osborne for only concentrating on Manchester in terms of his northern powerhouse. And she wants to help, what is it, every single sort of great city around the country. So... They, all these companies can invest in all these, uh, you know, regional expansion. So that will be good. Yeah, I wondered whether whether what was her comments of the precious precious union and, and the uh, tap uh, the hat tip to Scotland and Northern Ireland and Wales and whether we're going to see much uh, a bit more cash heading into those regions. In terms of pensions, and I was thinking you said, or any any of you that. It's time perhaps for a brave new world. One of the things about the pension reforms that uh, George Osborne undertook was that they seemed to be half finished, didn't they? Because there are still massive penalties for people coming in, even in the sort of mid-60s, and people have different pension pots in different places. Are there things you think that the Chancellor could do now to make people have easier access or more flexibility in their pension schemes? Do you know this is an incredibly difficult one because the pensions industry is already buckling under the weight of trying to organise itself to cope with the reforms. However, that doesn't mean that reforms should stop. I think we can expect there will be further simplification and probably reduction of the pension tax reliefs. I think that we will start to see much more simpler ways of giving tax relief and promoting pension saving. I think that these are people prepared to to think big. However, some sad stuff has already happened in the pensions world, which I don't really think has been publicised enough. The first victims of Brexit were the poorest pensioners, the kind who tend to buy an annuity, and rates are still falling this week. Standard life has cut. So we see that group that 
that Mrs May has pledged to rescue from its plight already damaged and we also see that the that the lack of sophistication in most people in managing their pension investments leaves them hugely exposed so we have a complex um, problem here should we have further regulation should we let the existing reforms play out or should we just start again and just repeal all the reforms of two or three years ago and just say pensions get simplified and the clear message is you are on your own here safe there's another aspect to, to i mean Anne is absolutely right there's another aspect to pensions which is of, of course uh, these incredibly low guilt yields are massively increasing the deficits in corporate pension funds which have I think this week they reached almost £400 billion. I think that was a, a record, which, of course, then makes companies think twice about spending as they should be because they're too busy trying to repair their pension schemes. So, sorry, just going back to my point about interest rates, there's another reason why monetary policy, in my view, is, has run its course, because if, you, if you're pushing, pushing yields even further down, that just uh, makes companies even more wary, or those that have got big deficits. And there's an ironic element too, isn't there, in that we all expected the pension tax relief changes to happen in the budget. And of course, Osborne. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Held off because of the nightmare of Brexit. It was just seen as one too many problems and and his whole, whole sort of move to become a more kind of centrist helping the poor kind of politician has been cut short and we may well see his successor in number 11 carrying through with some of those reforms to help a sort of a wider element of society that you know you know he'll be sort of robbed of that um, accolade. Because towards the end of his what he didn't know were his final weeks in office, George Osborne started to talk about the people who are economically disenfranchised. Now, has there been a big shift in the whole of the Tory party to th that made us to think they thought they were focusing on the wrong people? I'd love to know, and I think we should be, it will become clearer what exactly the, the governing principles of this new government are going to be. What are their watchwords? Who are their gurus? 
You know, these these are the questions everybody's going to be asking. But one of the things, surely, is that in most cases, the reforms you're talking about that had already taken place, both, I mean, we can talk about tinkering with, with individual savings accounts or with the bigger picture pensions, is that they take a long, long time to implement. We're talking about possibly decisions that won't kick in for two or three years. What did people do in the meantime? I mean, ah, new first. I'm always astounded when I meet somebody who can't see what a penurious old age would be like. I sometimes wonder whether people rely too much on governments to incentivize them and to nudge them and to prod them. And I suspect that people should look and see just how many 90-somethings, how many people celebrating their 100th birthday we learn about and start saving. Maybe, you know, it's in a very old-fashioned idea and I sort of imagine that's a very Hammond idea. I see him as being, as the reason they call him, you know, he was the goth when he was at school, wasn't he? I bet he's capable of being quite, you know, quite tough. And say, you're out there, you know, we'll incentivise you a bit, but you've got to save your old age. I think there are, there are some measures that can be introduced quite quickly and do have an immediate effect and we do you remember in the uh, in the teeth of the banking crisis when i think it was alistair darling cut vat for just for a year yeah. it's yeah. kind of, you need the kind of measures that make make people uh, bring forward spending decisions and stop sitting on their hands, which is what both businesses and consumers are likely to do in the next few months, just sit on their hands and do nothing. And if you can encourage them by saying, well, this is a, we'll cut VAT, but only for 12 months, or we'll give special capital allowances, but only for 12 months. It's the kind of thing that might nudge businesses and, and consumers into doing something. I think that's a really good idea because you only have to go around the big stores and just see how much stock is in the sale because people were already postponing purchase decisions. A cut and vat would get them out to the high street and spending, thinking, yes, I will have that new wardrobe and all the clothes it can contain. I always thought that value-added tax, VAT, was originally um, introduced when we joined the European Union, wasn't it? I thought it was to pay for the European Union. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and I think there are very strict rules on what you can do as an EU member. You can't cut... I don't think we could have VAT at 15% anymore. I might, no, but if we're leaving, we could scrap it. Yeah, no, it. exactly. So if we're leaving, we could do what we like on VAT if we, if we wanted to. Unfortunately, it's a huge revenue raiser, so if we cut VAT, that would uh, really hit the uh, public finances. Uh, if, we, if we've cut VAT too far or for too long. Well, I think there's a lot there for Philip Hammond to chew over. We'll send him a link to the podcast. Anyway, we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll look at how the Brexit debate is unfolding. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insights and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. Of course, one of the most studied passages of Mrs May's speech was the bit she kept right to the very end. As we leave the European Union, we will forge a, forge a bold, new, positive role for ourselves in the world. And we will make Britain a country that works not for a privileged few, but for every one of us. That will be the mission of the government I lead. And together, we will build a better Britain. Patrick, let me ask you first, do you really believe that? Well, there's an awful long way to go, isn't there? But if you think where we were only a week ago, we, we, we know a bit more than we did, did then. We have a prime minister, we have a cabinet 
we have uh, in David Davis someone who's actually going to be negotiating Brexit. So we are a little bit further along the way to understanding what kind of Brexit it might be. But it, it, until we get better idea of the, of the trade-off between the single market and migration and where uh, Theresa May wants to take us, then business will remain extremely nervous. Any new politician standing on the steps of Downing Street could have given exactly that speech because, of course, that's presumably what everyone who does that job wants to achieve. But I think, really, as Patrick says, it's just incredibly difficult at this point to know where that trade-off will be because any sort of sort of uh, free movement of people is presumably totally unacceptable to the electorate. That's exactly what's been voted against. Presumably access to the single market is where the sacrifice will be made. And then there are just a million, myriad different ways in which um, Britain could engage with, with other countries and have a trading relationship. Um, as everyone will no doubt be aware, there's there's one school of thought that we just sort of operate as a, you know, entirely free trade under the WTO and supposedly that will be fine because actually WTO rules say that countries can't discriminate. So so any sort of tariff rules that are put in place are across the board. So, you know, EU countries couldn't sort of uh, punish Britain for having left the EU on that basis. I mean, it's all very fascinating, but I think... No one really knows at this point uh, how it's going to play out. I just wonder whether Mrs May and uh, Mr Hammond are going to have to hold their noses for a while and try and be nice to the rich because we've got to protect the tax base and we have got to make sure that some of those highly paid people whose skills are eminently exportable don't go elsewhere, despite the blandishments of Paris. Keep them here. Make it clear how these passporting rules could work. Because if we start to lose loads of people who pay huge amounts of income tax, that would not be good for us now and in the future. And and in all this, it's absolutely right that we should be focused on the most vulnerable people in our society. But in order to have the, the tax base that we need, the kind of revenues that we need to look after them, we need to make sure that loads of influential, big earning fund managers and bankers stay here, make their homes here, educate their children here and are here for the long term. I'm not sure we have to worry about that too much. I think it's going to be an absolute gravy train for a management consultants, lawyers, accountants over the next uh, over the next five years as we try and disentangle ourselves from Europe. I think they're going to make out like absolute bandits. So uh, I'm not too worried about the uh, about the so-called experts. I wonder if there'll be a few sops for the banks. Um, one thing I think will be quite interesting to see is whether Philip Hammond rolls back on the bank tax, which of course is you know the the most hated thing for banks, um, and that's a fairly easy thing to give in a sense, but it, it strikes me that Theresa May has has sort of set out her stall that she's not terribly sympathetic to you know the high rollers who live in London and actually they should frankly be grateful to live in London that, you know for all the benefits of being here. So I wonder if that's where she and Anne Hammond might come down. What I think is very interesting is her use of the word build, and I think if you remember this week, um, Barrett said it's maybe minded to stop decrease its output a bit. 
And I keep thinking about something that Mrs May said some time ago about um, the rising cost of house prices. And she thinks they're not only bad for young people, but also because they stop money going into more, what she calls, more productive investments. Now, the one way to start bringing house prices down would be to start some actual building. But how does she persuade the house builders in this incredibly uncertain Brexit climate to start boosting their output. And there is actually talk that what they should do is say there will be a reprieve on the stamp duty surcharge that's currently payable on second homes and buy-to-lets to encourage the building, to encourage investors to go into high-density developments, so ensuring that those schemes are financed and get built and we have more homes. It's very controversial, but some, you know, the, the house builders are going to want some incentives if they're going to start getting shovels into the ground when they see everything around them is uncertain and house hunters are hanging back. And just as another um, further complication, someone was telling me earlier that uh, there's something like 50,000 one million pound apartments are going to come online in London in the next few years, whereas our actual kind of consumption of one million pound apartments is something like 4,000 a year. So there's an enormous glut of these, you know, very expensive flats that are coming onto the market in London, which is, of course, not Brexit related, but it is another problem that has got to be dealt with. You know, it's not clear how that will be dealt with. It is extraordinary how few affordable homes were built in amidst this great construction glut. From our office on the 11th floor of Times Towers, all we can see is cranes, but very few homes for ordinary workers have been built. Who should be called out on that? I do not know, but it is one of the. Uh, there's another politician here who faces quite a few challenges, and his name is Sadiq Khan. Because in order to ensure in this uncertain climate, I keep using the word uncertain, but what else is it? He has to make sure that we keep workers of all kinds in London, and by that, and to do that, he needs to provide more affordable housing. Just one thing I wanted to going back to the, the question of rebalancing the economy. It would be very interesting to see uh, how we negotiate Brexit because it's not just the big issues of the single market, but every industry has a particular uh, view on this, whether it's passporting for banks or open skies for airlines. And you could see uh, ministers favouring, say, airlines over banks, saying, yes, we'll, we want, we'll, 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 we'll do away with passporting, which will infuriate the banks, but we want open skies. Or so there's going to be this kind of uh, massive trade-off in the next few, uh, next few years as these things are negotiated. Very good thought to end on there, and thank you all very much. A lively debate there. And remember, you can keep up to date with all these developments as they happen, and in the paper, of course. If you're a Time subscriber, take the opportunity to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails, and we still have that special £1 offer for a subscription. You can go to thetimes.co.uk where you'll find it. If you want to hear us weekly, subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Patrick Hosking, Catherine Griffith and Anne Ashworth. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.